Thanks, Wilson. Hey, good morning, everyone. Yeah, as Will was uh, telling about the guy that was healed from arthritis yesterday, um, Lori said, and I gave this um, as part of our prayer call. Well, I'm just going to tell you this right now. God's going to heal people of arthritis today, okay? And arthri- arthritic-type conditions, things, things like gout, loop, you know, other, other immune-type things, even rheumatoid arthritis. We're just putting that out there today. We're going to say someone's going to be healed of rheumatoid arthritis today. Um, so Lori was praying for someone between services, and uh, this lady did exactly the same thing that Wilson described. Uh, she jumped up and she said, the pain's gone. My ankles, the pain's gone. So uh, that's cool stuff, man. And uh, we're going to see more and more of that. And, and here's something else that's going to happen. More and more of you are going to get in on that. Okay, a lot of you are in on that right now, but more and more of you are going to get on this. And some of you that are sitting here thinking, yeah, you know, that's for other people. You're going to end up getting in on this. You're going to end up becoming one of those people that prays for somebody and you see them healed. So that's pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Yeah, God's going to do a lot of good things uh, today in people's lives. But I'm getting way ahead of myself here. First, the joke, okay? So there are these uh, older couples that are meeting on a regular basis and just having coffee and chatting. And, you know, so, so, a couple of the guys are starting to lose their memory a little. But uh, during the conversation, one of the, one of the men talks about this restaurant that he and his wife had gone to and how they loved it. And so one of his friends said, well, what was the name of that restaurant? And, and he, just, for the, he just cannot remember the name of the restaurant. And he's stumbling and frustrated. And then he looks up at his friend and he says... Um, tell, tell me, what's the name of that flower that is red and smells really sweet? And the guy says, are you talking about a rose? And he said, that's it, rose. And then he turned to his wife and he said, Rose, what was the name of that restaurant we were at? <laughs> okay. I, I, I have another one I have to tell you. This guy dies and he goes to heaven and he's standing outside the pearly gates and Peter's evaluating his life. You know, St. Peter, the pearly gates and all of that. And he says, well, you know what? He says, you've done, really haven't done anything good, but you really haven't done anything bad either in your life. So you're just kind of like neutral. We don't know what to do with you. You know, could there be anything missing from the records? Any, you know, like, did you ever do anything really significant and to help other people? And the guy says, well, there was, yeah, I was driving down the road and I saw this group of thugs mugging this older couple and I pulled over and I pulled a baseball bat out of my trunk and I went up to them and I, I said they had to back off. And the ringleader was this big guy. He had a, a lip ring in and I just reached up and grabbed him by the lip ring and stretched him down to me and I said, back off. And Peter's really impressed. He says, wow. He said, that, that really is significant. Um, I'm surprised we don't have that in the records. How long ago did that happen? And the guy looked at his watch and he said, about three minutes. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, the sound effects, yeah, are wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, laughter is a gift from God, so let's enjoy it. Hey, we're, we're entering into a, a, a series 
on faith. And the, and the name of the series is Designed for a Dynamic Faith. We're going to be focused on this through the summer. We're going to have a couple of guest speakers come in. Whether or not they'll tie into the series yet, yet remains to be seen. But this is what we'll be focusing on for probably um, the, the next 10, 12 weeks. And um, the, the main point, the, the foundational thing that I want us all to get and I want you to get today is this. That you are designed for dynamic faith. That it's not, it's not like an option. It's not like something for just the real super Christians. You're a believer in Jesus. You are hardwired for faith. You're pre-programmed to believe. Pre-programmed to have a dynamic, life-changing, world-changing faith. The question we, we, we uh, enter into is, man, how do I tap into that? How do I begin to grow in that? If that's really, that's the truth, then how do I grow in that? Now, actually, the, the, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, then you also, because you're made in the image of God, there's a respect in which we could say, man, you're already designed for a life of faith. Uh, God's purpose for you, God's loving purpose for you is that you come to know Jesus. And when you accept Jesus, that image of God designed within you is going to be ignited and brought to life. And you get to enter into a life of exceptional, dynamic, life-changing, world-changing faith. And so this is something that God wants us to have. And, And what I want to do right now is just show you that this is really the truth. That, that as a believer, for anyone in Christ, they are designed for faith. In um, John chapter 3, the Apostle John recounts a story about Jesus. And in this story, there's a man, a religious leader, who has uh, come to Jesus. And he's asking Jesus a bunch of questions. And Jesus says something to him that, in, in essence, what, what he's saying is that true faith and coming into true faith is such a life-changing thing, it it rocks your world to such a degree that the only way to describe it is as birth. It's like, you know, when you were born, that was a pretty big deal, okay? You go from this nice, warm, cozy atmosphere, suddenly you're out here in the light and and all the different... so, So there's a huge change that takes place. Well, here Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Jesus answers him. He asks these questions. Here's Jesus' answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so this radical thing happens when you receive Jesus. It's like being born again. You're being born into the spiritual realm. You're being born into God's family, into God's house. And when you come into God's house, then you get to see God's things. (laughs) You get to understand God's stuff. But you have, to, you have to have this spiritual birth in order to do that. Now, John the Apostle, uh, later in his life, wrote a letter to a group of Christians called 1 John. It comes towards the end of the New Testament. And in that letter, he borrows from Jesus' wording, and he uses this concept of born again. And it really just ties right into our theme this summer. But here's what it says. He said, everyone who has been born of God, born again... Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. All right, now recognize this. 
John is saying, when you're born again, you are born into victory. You are designed for victory. You are not designed for defeat. You are designed by God. You are pre-programmed by, you're hardwired for living in victory in this life. And what is, what's the foundation of that victory? He said, it is faith. And so the moment you come to Jesus, all this change takes place inside. These old programs are deleted and God reprograms us and he actually changes the operating system itself and makes us totally new. And part of that new thing that is put into us is faith. Not just the capacity for faith, but the inclination for faith, the desire for faith, and the capacity to have a growing faith. Now, you see, we receive Christ by faith. It's an act of faith when you receive Jesus. You invite Jesus into your heart. But when you receive Jesus, then you enter into the realm of faith. And and I want to show you this from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul. He had come under some criticism. Some of the intellectuals in Rome thought that Paul was afraid to come to Rome because it was such an intellectual center that the gospel would seem like this pitiable philosophy and that Paul was afraid to come there and preach the gospel to all of these intellectuals and powerful people. So Paul says this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, I'll preach it to anyone, anywhere. doesn't make any difference who they are. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. You know, when your message has power, you don't have to worry about winning the argument. You know, that, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I don't have to win arguments. I've got power. There's power in the words of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that last phrase is where we're headed, but I want to point a few things out along the way so that when we get to it, you'll really understand it. He says the gospel of Christ what he means by that <clears throat> is that um, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive today. You can have life through him. That's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. And when you hear that, a lot of times people think, oh yes, so I can be forgiven and go to heaven when I die. But that's not the goal of salvation. That's just the final destination. You know what the goal of Jesus dying for our sins was? For Jesus to take out of the way the stuff that separates us from God so we can come into the heart of God. So that we can encounter and have a living relationship now with the living God. And so that's the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. This this mountain of sin that was separating me from God, Jesus removed it. It's no longer there. So now all it takes is for me to have the willing heart to say, God, Jesus, I receive you. I want you. See, the Bible says God's already reconciled to us. He was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so from God's end, he's reconciled to us. It is for our end to turn to him, to acknowledge him. You are Lord Jesus. Uh, I, I was created for you. And I am creator for you. And, 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 and I want to know you. Come in. And when we do that, 
salvation occurs. That's the gospel of Christ. He says it's the power of God to salvation because Jesus takes us right into the heart of God. And when you're living in the heart of God, you're going to experience his life and his authority and his power. And it saves you. It changes you. It saves you from all the destruction that we can embrace into our lives in this world. And it gives us power to say no to things and yes to the right things and to live confidently. And part of that is, as we're going to see here, the, the power to walk in trust and faith in relationship with God. But it's the power of God uh, to save. And then he says it's for everyone who believes. The only thing I want to say about that is the word believes in Greek is the same as the word faith. In English, we have faith, trust, believe, probably a couple other words. They all have different nuances. In, in Greek, it's just a matter of the part of speech the word is. But it's the same word as faith. And, and so believe is faith, people who put faith in him. And then he says this, that righteousness of God... Uh, The translations, uh, and even the one I used here says the righteousness of God. Really, there's no definite article there. It just means righteousness of God. So in other words, God's righteousness is revealed. God's righteousness is revealed. And actually, the word revealed is in the present tense, which means God's righteousness is being revealed. It's revealed and it's continuing to be revealed. And that's significant because we need to know that when we accept Jesus, we get God's righteousness. His righteousness comes into us and it becomes ours. So this whole idea, the joke I told of Peter being at the gates and he's going to check and see how much good stuff you did or how much bad stuff you did. You know, that's not going to happen. And if it did happen, it wouldn't be a matter of good or bad. It's just going to be a matter of, did you have Jesus? And and God's going to look up your name and he's going to say, oh, oh, okay. Wow. You completely righteous. Totally, totally righteous. You get, you get right in. Yeah. That's because we have God's righteousness, not our own. It's Jesus' righteousness, not our own. And so this righteousness of God is being revealed. And then he says, from faith to faith. And uh, this idea of from faith to faith, literally, it is out of faith into faith. And even the word two is insufficient. It's the prepositions here. And, and I, I don't want you to go away from this thinking, well, um, you have to know Greek to understand the Bible. That's not true. But there are little points like this at times that really do help. But it's out of faith. And then it's not in faith. It's into faith. And so it's kind of like I get out of one car and I get into another car. I'm upgrading. You know, I drive my old car to the dealership. I get out of that car and I get in a new car. And, I, and I've, I've up, hopefully I'm upgrading a level. And, um, and, and so he's saying here that the Christian life of us understanding this revealed righteousness of God, understanding my identity in Christ, who I am, what God's called me to, what he's done for me, who he is, everything that, that, uh, everything that he is to me, everything that he wants to be to the people I love and the people around me and in my community, who he is, his righteousness is being revealed. And I get to move from one level of revelation to a new level of revelation. I move out of faith, out of level, I'm, I'm just going to call them levels, okay? Out of level one into level two. Out of level two into level three. 
Now, I hesitate to say levels because we don't ever want to start thinking, well, I'm a level five. You're just a level two. Man, you got some, yeah, I'm better. And, and you know, this church is one of our core values has been being mercy-based. Do you know what we mean by that is we're going to give mercy to each other. That was a description of the culture we wanted to have here. It was, we want, to, we want to deal mercifully with each other. You can screw up and I'm not going to reject you over it, okay? I hope I can mess up and you don't reject me over it. We're going to work through it. I'm going to give you a break. I'm going to, I'm going to look at your life and, and just bless you. And so, uh, but, but just for the sake of discussion and so we can think through this, you, you move out of one level of faith into a, into a higher level of faith or into a deeper level of faith, whichever way you want to look at it. And so that's what the Christian life is. The apostles knew that, and that is why they asked Jesus on one occasion, one of the most pertinent questions they ever asked him. In Luke 17, 5, it says, the apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith. What they were saying was, Jesus, how do we get more faith? Show us how. Increase our faith. We want more. See, they had been with Jesus. They saw the peace Jesus had. They saw Jesus come under just uh, scorching criticism from his enemies and him walk away, peace, confidence. They, they saw Jesus face horrible situations of, of challenge in his life and yet Jesus walks in peace and confidence. They saw the power of Jesus. They saw the love of Jesus to bless other people and to release God's, they wanted that. And so they say, Jesus, increase our faith. We're gonna look at that at the end of the message. But for right now, what we want to do is spend some time looking at four different expressions of faith. I'm going to call them expressions to get away from the idea of levels and all of that. Just four expressions of faith. And actually, I want to acknowledge um, the, the, this part of the message was stirred in my thinking from something my son Wilson shared with me about a message that he had heard given by Randy Clark. And so Randy had talked about these four different expressions of faith, put it a different way than I'm putting it, but still, I, I got that. I, I just want to acknowledge that, that uh, Randy came up with this originally. But um, uh, th- th- this is all my wording, though. So uh, the, the four expressions of faith from these four stories in the gospel. We're going to move through this quickly because we, um, we want to really compare the four stories as the goal. So the first expression is faith mixed with doubt. All right, faith mixed with doubt. Anybody been there? Yeah, I wish I could say been there, done that, you know, because that means it's behind me. Been there, doing that, probably do it again tomorrow. Uh, you know, like 10 o'clock in the morning, how you feeling about that? Oh, I'm confident God's going to come through. Ask me, ask me at five o'clock this evening. Oh man, what have we done? Why did we make that decision? And if you ask me at one o'clock in the morning, it's like all is lost. But, but it, it, faith mixed with doubt. And in this case, it's a man who's desperate. His son has been plagued with this demonic spirit that is tormenting him and, and really trying to kill the boy. And he comes to Jesus and brings his son to Jesus. And when he brings his, comes, Jesus has taken three of the apostles and gone up on a mountain to pray. 
And so he encounters the other nine apostles. They all say, well, let's do it. Let's, let's go after this. They do their best, but they can't cast the demon out of this boy. And so uh, they, they come down and there's arguing taking place as to why it didn't happen and, and, and all. So it's a, it's a confusing scene. And this father comes to Jesus when Jesus comes back the mountain, down the mountain in Mark 9, 22. And this faith mixed with doubt. He says to Jesus... If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. How many of you know that's the wrong thing to say to Jesus? Okay. All right. So Jesus said to him, if you can, I, I don't think he's being mean here. I don't, he's, not, he's not like slamming the guy. But uh, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then it goes on to say, immediately the father of the child cried out. And I love this guy's honesty. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. So it's faith mixed with doubt. And Jesus, at that moment, he looks up and he sees these crowds that, that see Jesus has come back down. They know the apostles have already failed in delivering this boy. They want to hurry up and run over there and see what Jesus does. And so, so as not to make a show of this boy and his father, and it specifically says Jesus sees the crowds running towards them. So he just makes a quick business of this and frees this boy of the demon that had been tormenting him. And so this faith mixed with doubt, uh, the father, the, the second uh, expression of faith is faith, but with touch faith that is focused on physical touch. So in this case, there's a woman who believes she can be healed, but she believes some physical contact has to occur between her and Jesus for her to be healed. She's been sick for years. She spent all of her money trying to get well. And her illness is something that made her ostracized. It, it would have kept her from going to the temple to worship. There would have been a foul smell uh, that she would have been incapable of, of completely masking. So she lives with a lot of shame and, and with a lot of rejection. And so she, she must have either heard or seen Jesus heal other people. I think she's probably seen it. I think she's probably seen Jesus lay, lay his hands on a leper or a blind person or a deaf person or a lame person and they got well. And so she's been planning this when Jesus comes through, what am I going to do? She's afraid to call out She's afraid to say, Jesus, help me, help me, because what if he's afraid to touch her? Because she's ceremonially unclean, according to the Old Testament rituals. So what if he won't touch her? So she thinks physical contact has to happen for this healing to happen, so I'll touch him. And even if I don't get to touch his arm or his leg as he walks by, if I just touch his clothes, that'll be good enough. And so she positions herself and Jesus walks by and she reaches out and she touches her cloak. And at that moment in time, she is completely and instantly healed. Now, let's just read this just to draw this in, in uh, Mark 5, 28. Uh, she's reached out, she's touched him, she's healed. And then he explains and he said, for she said, if I, if I even touch his garments, I'll be made well. And so immediately when she touched him, it, it means the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Awesome. Incredible. She still wants to hide. And so Jesus, but Jesus, he's, he says, oh, I felt power leave. 
I felt power flow out of me. Who touched me? And the apostles, they say, are you crazy? A hundred people just touched you because of the crowd. And he said, no, somebody really touched me. And so they identify this woman and she, she steps up and then Jesus uh, looks at her and he says, he says this, he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. You know what he was doing there? He was restoring her to community. He was taking away her shame by stopping and, and not just enough for her to be physically healed. She had to be blessed. He wanted her to have everything God had for her. And so he stops and he, he speaks these words of affirmation to her in front of everybody. So all the people who would have said, stay away from her. She can't come in the temple. Don't go to her house. Ignore her. Don't sit down beside her. All those people that would have been saying and thinking that, now they've heard Jesus blessed her. Jesus honored her. Jesus declared her whole and clean and right. And so he, he restores her to her to her right standing in, in the community. And uh, so the faith with touch. But you see, her thinking was touch. I have to touch him. I, you know, I wonder how many of us have ever thought that way. How many have ever thought, oh, if I can just get my friend to Robbie Dawkins when Robbie is here, if I can just get them to the front, and oh my, Robbie, Robbie left before I got my friend to get prayed for by Robbie, all was lost. Have you ever, I've felt that way, I've done that, you've done that, haven't you? Or maybe, maybe you've thought that. Can you understand that? Let's just say that. Does that make sense? Could you picture yourself doing that? Anybody here? Come on. Okay, thank you. I need some response there. All right, so that's great faith, incredible faith, but it was faith that was tied into the framework of I have to be there, he has to be there, there has to be physical contact for this to happen. So the next expression of faith is of a, um, a man, a centurion, a Roman, and he has a servant, probably a Jewish servant, that is very ill, and he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, my servant is is very ill. He's in torment right now. And before he can get another word out, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. I'll come. Don't worry. Uh, where, where is it? So it's miles away. Jesus was willing to walk miles away for one, one, one servant to heal him, but for one person who was a, a servant at that to heal him. But uh, this centurion, he has some incredible insight into the workings of the kingdom of God and into who Jesus is. And here's his response to Jesus. In Matthew 8, 7 through 10, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Five miles away makes no difference to this man. Ten miles makes no difference to this man. Say the word and my servant will be healed. Here's why. He says, I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, no one in Israel, no, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, what's the guy saying when he says, I'm a man under authority? Here's what he's saying. I know what it's like to have authority from the higher realm. He's, he's a centurion. He has authority from Rome. Authority has been conferred on him and given to him. And he says, I know I have that authority and I, I get to make things happen because of that. I say, do this, people do it. Why? Because I've got the authority. So he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I know you are more than a healer. 
I know you're not just a, you're not just like a healer. You are more than that. You have received authority from God to walk on this earth and to release the kingdom of God wherever you choose to release it. Just as I, as a centurion, have authority from Rome to move through Israel and to command things to happen and to stop things from happening, you have authority from heaven to release heaven here on earth right now. And so this is incredible faith on this man's part. I mean, there might even have been some understanding of the angelic realm on his part. We don't know that. But, but maybe when he says, I know what it's like to command servants, he's picturing Jesus saying to an angel, get over there right now and heal that man. Heal that servant. But um, it, whatever, at any rate, it's just a powerful uh, faith that this man has that, that transcends space. You don't have to be there, Jesus. You can command it, and whatever forces you're commanding, they're going to go, and they're going to do it, and it's going to happen. And so what Jesus does, he says this about faith, and he says, go, your servant's healed. And so the man on the way home, another servants are coming to, to tell him, your servant was healed. And he asks when, and when they compare times, it was at exactly the moment that Jesus said, your servant is healed. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's so cool. Man, I want faith like that. You know, I, I want to understand. I, I want to I understand what's happening in that whole spiritual realm. I want to understand authority that's been given to us as believers in Christ and what that means and how to, how to follow Jesus and how to release healing like Jesus did. But that's not the point today. The point is... Um, this guy, he wasn't limited by distance, and he had this incredible understanding of Jesus being in charge of the spiritual realm. Jesus, to him, isn't just a healer. He isn't just a rabbi. He's a general. He's a four- or five-star general in the spiritual realm, and he has the full authority of his homeland, the kingdom of heaven. He has the full authority of heaven to exercise power like a general exercises power in the spiritual realm. That's what this guy was saying. So the fourth one, we've seen the um, faith with doubt. We've seen faith for touch, for close proximity healing. Now we've seen faith for distance healing. Uh, does, you, you don't have to be there. And now we're going to see faith that transcends time. Faith for reaching out across time and bringing a healing that it isn't even the right time frame for this healing to happen. And so in this case, it's a Canaanite woman. That would mean she was a Gentile. And at this point in God's development of his plan, he is focused on the nation of Israel so that he could produce a Messiah through Israel. He could produce his law through Israel that would express his righteousness, send a Messiah to Israel who would live up to that righteousness perfectly and then die for everyone in the world. So the plan focuses on Israel so that God's goodness and kingdom can be released to the whole world, to the whole Gentile world. But at this point in time, Jesus hasn't yet died on the cross. The Holy Spirit hasn't yet come and filled all of his followers, making them like little Jesuses, sending them out into the world. That hasn't happened yet. And so his plan is still, I've got to focus on Israel. I've got it. I, I can't open this whole thing up to all the Gentiles. And so this woman comes and, uh, and, and she asks him to heal her daughter who is demonized. And, and Jesus at first just walks past her. Then the apostles say, get rid of her. She's, just, she's, she's a pain. She's just following us yelling. 
And so Jesus finally talks to her, and he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember, at this point in time, it's all focused on Israel, so that it can focus on the Gentiles. And so as, as uh, this woman is, is speaking, and Jesus says this, she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Now look at her persistence. Man, she loves her daughter and she's not afraid of Jesus. And she's being persistent. And Jesus then says this, and this is not as politically incorrect in that time as it seems to us today. It wasn't all this horrible offensive thing for him to say this. All he's doing is using an illustration to say it's not yet the time for the Gentiles to receive this whole deal. It's all headed that way. You're all going to get it, but it's a few years away. Okay, this woman's just a few years early. And so Jesus uh, says to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it for, to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she's just saying, oh, Lord, it's just a crumb. I'm just asking you for a crumb. I'm asking you for such a small, th- your power is so great. Your authority is so massive and your power is so awesome. It just takes a crumb. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire And her daughter was healed instantly. Isn't that awesome? So here's a woman who uh, out of time reaches ahead, reaches several years into the future to the time of the Gentiles. And she grabs hold of the kingdom there and she pulls it right back into her own time. And she receives healing for her daughter. And uh, so uh, that's pretty cool, don't you think? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I want faith like that too. So these four expressions of faith... um, Faith mixed with doubt, faith that requires physical contact, faith that distance doesn't limit, and then finally, faith that is able to reach into a coming era of time. Uh, The question is this, okay? Question. You're going to see it come up. You're going to see the answer too. But whose faith did God respond to? Whose faith did he respond to? Everybody all at once. All of them. Let's say that together. I'm going to ask the question and you all answer all of them, okay? Whose faith did, he re- did God respond to? All of them. That's right. That's right. Even the smallest faith, even faith mixed with doubt, God responded to him. Now, I, I want to draw a few conclusions to this message. But to do that, I want to go back to that question the apostles asked Jesus, okay? We're going to read that verse it's Luke 17, 5 through 8. And then we're going to draw some lessons out of this. But it says this. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree. I'm just going to say oak tree, okay? Because an oak tree is something I can. You can say to this oak tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, in another place, Jesus said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be taken up, planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I read that, and I think, what the heck? What, what, Jesus, how, how does that answer their question in any way, shape, or form? Well, it does. It really does. But before I point that out, I want to say this. What if you're here and you're saying, you know, I wish I desired greater faith, but I don't. I wish I was, could, could say this Tuesday, I'm going to have a passion for greater faith. 
but I'm not sure I will. If, if, if that's where you're at, then I, I want to point this out. Where did the apostles come up with the desire to answer this question? Where did, not, not, not from spending time out in the fishing boat or the tax collector's booth. It was because they spent time with Jesus. They spent time with someone who had greater faith than they did. They spent time with someone who was willing to take risks that they weren't willing to take yet. You, you know, I, with, I don't know if I said this in this service yet or not. If I did, then just count it part of that joke at the beginning. But I spent a couple of weeks with Robbie Dawkins in Zimbabwe in 2013. And spending time with him made me want greater faith. It made me desire to know God better and, and to enter into a deeper level of faith, a more dynamic faith. And so I want to say this, if you just want to desire it, then find somebody that has more faith than you and they're exercising it and hang out with them and go with them when they do whatever they do to exercise their faith, okay? And you're going to see God working and you're going to come away from that because you're already pre-programmed for faith, remember? Your spiritual DNA is faith. And so it's going to just pop inside you. There's going to be these things popping, saying, I want that. I want that. I want more of that. I want more faith. I want to be more like that. So first step is hang out with people that have greater faith than you do. Now, that also says don't just hang out with people that are the same as you and don't just hang out with people that have no faith because that'll kill your faith. Hang out with people, at least some people in your life that have greater faith. Second thing is this, recognize, and this is where we get into Jesus's answer, faith at any level can move God's heart. Okay, we saw that with the four illustrations, didn't we? Faith at any level will move God's heart. So don't worry about how much faith you have. Don't start saying, well, what level am I at? Am I, can you give us a test that will tell us what level of faith we're at so that we can know where we're starting? I want to know if I'm a level two or two and a half or if I've slipped back to a level one and three quarters. I mean, that would be our culture today. That's what we would want. But you don't have to think about that because you know even mustard seed faith can move mountains. And so don't focus on how much faith you have. Realize that whatever faith you have, you can use that to shake your world. It can have a dynamic and profound impact upon your life and upon your world. And, and, and trust that. Now, the third thing is to grow in your faith. Take the faith you have, that whatever it is, push it to the max and risk. Push your faith to the max and risk. If, if, and ask God where. If it is in the area of friendships, then figure out what's the cutting edge in my area of friendships. Is it speaking truth to other people? Is it just um, uh, proposing something that we would do as a group because I'm afraid if I make the proposal, they'll all reject it. And so I never am the one who does that. Or, or does it have to do with meeting new people and I need to just say, okay, God, I'm going to Kroger's today. I'm going to meet someone new here. Or maybe you're used to meeting new people and it is, God, I'm going to ask somebody what, what if, if God could do a miracle in their life, what would it be? I'm going to ask somebody that today. Maybe that's your, 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 your growth point of faith. Or maybe it has to do with finances and you're, you're worried and you're fearful and, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? How, and, and, you, and you need, I'm going to take the steps, I'm going to order my finances. 
I'm going to start budgeting. I'm not going to spend more than I take in. I'm going to start giving too. And, and that's a huge risk of faith when we do that. But whatever it is, find that edge and step over it. And your faith is going to grow. That's what's going to happen this summer. We're going to look at this from a lot of different angles. And uh, we're, going to, we're just going to talk about how do we move out of one level of faith and into the next level of faith. For right now, Will's going to come up and uh, take us into the next part of our service.